Welcome back in to Talking Catholic. Today we have to talk about this new book called Birth of a Movement, which is perhaps a play on a movie, Birth of a Nation, from the Ku Klux Klan fame. It is written by Miss Olga M. Segura, who is a graduate of the Jesuits Fordham University and has worked for the Jesuits of American Magazine and has now, uh, I think she writes for National Catholic Reporter. As for her own faith journey, um, Olga says she identifies as a Catholic and says that she was raised by an atheist father and a mother who identifies as a Catholic, but a mother who never attends mass, which would explain why Olga was never baptized, but doesn't really explain how she identifies as a Catholic, but is not actually a Catholic and writes in a book how she has been attending a Baptist church yet has written a book lecturing white Catholics and bishops about how to fix the Catholic church of which she doesn't actually belong to yet has been educated in Catholic schools if you can call Jesuits Catholic and commenting on the Catholic church for all of her adult life. If you got lost in all that, let me recap. Miss Olga M. Segura self-identifies as a Catholic, but is not actually Catholic, prefers non-Catholic churches, but wrote a book lecturing Catholics on how to be Catholic. I know, it, it, it's, it's really all confusing. I mean, we pray that she does enter into communion, full communion, with the Catholic Church, and we pray that she is not receiving the Holy Eucharist unworthily. But in 2021, even a pro-child murder and pro-sodomy politician can claim to be Catholic and receive Holy Eucharist. And, 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 and that is pretty consistent in a society where boys can self-identify as girls and stupid people can identify as having a brain. And you may be wondering, why is David O. Gray even wasting his time reviewing a book that is based on a lie and by an author who has surrendered her credibility on the subject? Well, because it's not about the author, rather, it is about her ideas that she's presenting as being Catholic. And that demands an authentic Catholic response. This video is a little bit longer than most because Olga brings up several topics that I need to respond to and to put the rest with facts. But I'll break it up in segments um, to help you digest it all. Fool me, we can't get fooled again. I first have to say that as I've done time and time again with these people, whether it's Glory and Purvis, Gloria Purvis, or, or Dr. Tia Noel Pratt, or Dr. C. Vanessa White, I always invite these people onto my podcast to have a conversation with them about their perspective. I give them the opportunity ahead of time to defend themselves and to use their own words before I make these videos deconstructing their arguments. I give them a fair opportunity and warning first but they never set my invitation. They never do. And I get it. Echo chambers are, are very comfortable. It is much easier speaking to people who, who agree with you than people who may challenge you. And to be honest, who would want to come onto a live stream with me anyway? I mean, I get it. No one wants to risk getting embarrassed. Only, only people, only people who are very confident in their abilities will voluntarily choose to walk into a trap. Only people who believe what they're spouting is the absolute truth would have the confidence to take that truth anywhere. 
So I get why Olga M. Segura refused my invitation. If she had come to my show, I, I don't know how we could have just gotten past um, the, the first issue of how she identifies as something she is not. But but aside from that, I actually thought her book was very well written from, from a technical point. It is about 130 pages long, and I read the whole thing in just three hours. Olga, actually, I mean, she really did. She has, as a writer myself, I have to admit that Olga has a beautiful gift of telling stories in a very compelling way. She, she uses words as a form of art, and I, I completely disagree with her conclusions, but I respect her craft in arranging words in a very particular way. And I think, and I think actually she and I could have a great conversation about the need for prison reform. And, and I'll tell you what her, her, her thesis is in this book next, but the epic failure of her book is that she um, naively trusts the founders of Black Lives Matter and doesn't understand what communism Marxism is actually about. That's evident in her book. She's like a, a cute little lamb being led to the slaughter. The other tragedy of her book is that because she relies so much on Marxist ideology, Every solution she offers is just yet another twist on the heresy of humanism. There's nothing in this book uh, that, that points to the divine or God's grace. Every one of her solutions is just pure human effort. So the thesis of birth of a movement is this. Due to the Catholic Church's involvement with what she repeatedly calls chattel slavery in the United States. The Catholic Church is thereby complicit in systematic racism, environmental racism, and racial capitalism against black, brown, and the alphabet people, the LGBTQ, ABCDFG, HIJK, LMRP, QRST. Now, to make amends for her sins and become a friend rather than a foe of the people, the white male bishops of the Catholic Church needs to have a meeting with the, the three founders of Black Lives Matter and to just listen to them and do whatever they say. And, and the Catholic Church needs to also be, um, explicitly state Black Lives Matter. Um, the Catholic Church needs to pay reparations to those who were affected by their support of chattel slavery. The Catholic Church needs to be more welcoming also of the, the, the transgender people. As if changing your biological gender is actually possible. As if people who are XS chromosome can somehow become XX or XY become XX. Olga mentions transgender like on every page, every other page of this book, she's, she's talking about transgender ideology. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it's so, she mentions it so much that this book could be called Transgender Lives Matter in the Catholic Church. And then I could have responded with a book titled Why Biological Men Who Want to Be Women Will Never Have a Menstrual Cycle. Subtitled, I Believe in Science. But Olga, Olga wants the Catholic Church to acknowledge their distinct race as, as a people, as a people who exist and to, to care about their oppression. Finally, what the Catholic Church needs to do is to make amends for their sins and to become anti-capitalism because capitalism is the real sin. Essentially, what Olga has written here is a manifesto about how to co-opt the Catholic Church into attacking capitalism so that the reign of communism will take its place. And, and let me read to you some of the my favorite quotes out of this book, and then I'll, I'll pull uh, at, at the two strings that holds Olga's her argument all together. On page 38, Olga says, after belonging to the Catholic Church for almost 30 years, which isn't true, 
I learned in 2020, thanks to the work of Shannon D. Williams, that chattel slavery in the United States began with the Catholic Church, which isn't true. She, talking about Dr. Shannon D. Williams, writes that the Catholic Church was responsible for the introduction of slavery into the United States beginning in the South in the 1950s. That's absolutely not true. On page 49, she states, Our church fathers must apologize for harming black Americans from the church of participation in slavery and its current alliance with police enforcement and its continued refusal to acknowledge the works of Garza, Termetti, and Colliers, the founders of Black Lives Matter. On page 70, she states, Yet, when I read Jesus' words, I saw a brown man who demanded we defend all LGBTQIA people, which Jesus never, never said. There are two central arguments that Olga is making in her book, The Birth of a Movement. That gives me a, gives me really a great opportunity to address and redress um, some of the questions that I'm often asked. Here are her two arguments. The first is that the Catholic Church is complicit in systematic racism in the United States. We can bulk her different categories of racism together here. You know, she talks about environmental racism and racial capitalism because they're all interconnected in her arguments. We also can include her sub argument that police violence against blacks is due to the various expressions of racism. And by racism, Olga isn't talking about the sin of racism here, the objective sin of racism that is oftentimes verifiable, but more so what she's talking about is what I've called in other videos I've called emotional or political racism. That is the accusation of racism without any verifiable proof and without the exploration, without even exploring other reasons why that person or group is being mistreated. It just immediately jumps, oh, racism is the reason why they're being treated bad, right? It's, just, it's, it's emotional, it's political, it has an agenda, right? It's not serious. Olga's second core argument is that the Catholic Church must adopt or incorporate Black Lives Matter ideology um, including such things as the preferential option of one race over the others. Actually, they should use the uh, they should actually use the mantra Black Lives Matter in church documents. Um, the acceptance of, of multiple gender and transgender ideology and the defund police concept. Catholic Church has to adopt all those things. So let's talk about systematic racism. What it is, whether it is a weight upon people in society today, and whether there's anything out of the Black Lives Matter ideology that is redeemable by the Catholic Church. And in doing so, I will give you an authentic Catholic response to Olga's work here. First of all, Olga is correct. <laughs> Systematic racism is a real thing. No one should deny that. And as much as we can deny that there is real evidence that there's not any real evidence of it today, that that that, that is a, a, a weight upon people to the degree that people cannot overcome it. And I will address that shortly. 
As for the de um, definition of systematic racism, my working definition of systematic racism is simply this. Systematic racism is the evidence of societal normalization of racial supremacy. Societal normalization of racial supremacy. No one can deny we have substantial evidence uh, that for the most of the history of this country, um, that that is this. But many people, such as Olga, make some mistake in connecting slavery uh, to systematic racism. Slavery is not the cause of systematic racism. So let's take a look at some of her claims about the legacy of slavery, uh, police violence um, against blacks, and the overcarceration of blacks in prison as evidence of systematic racism. Okay. For most of the history of the world. Uh, slavery was normal and accepted. It, it was just as normal as, as many think prolocide is today, the killing of one's own offspring. Th and that's been normalized today, um, just as capital punishment has been viewed for the most of the world's history as, as being normal. So too was slavery. And there was never a racial component attached to it. People enslave people who oftentimes nearest to them and force them into labor. Oftentimes the victor of a war or a campaign to conquer enslaved people who they prevailed against. Olga is correct though in her understanding of the transatlantic slave trade, which is called chattel slavery. The, the kidnapping of men and women from one continent and transporting them to another continent where they would be sold and forced into labor was the first time in history in which slavery became a capital venture, right? What she would call uh, racial capitalism. It was the first time that people were conquered and forcibly migrated for the sole purpose of making a profit. And Catholic, Protestant, Islamic nations were all complicit in making this harm done to Africans, their blood money. But Racism wasn't their sin. Their sin was greed and pride. Think of the, the encounter with the Catholic Spaniards and the Aztecs. The Aztecs had lots of slaves already before the Spaniards got there. And they even gave some of their slaves to the Spaniards for, for peace gestures. But at, at one point in time, Bishop um, Bartolome de la Casa noticed how abusive the Spaniard conquerors were treating the indigenous people of Mexico. And that that and because of that, he said, hey, why don't you guys go get some? Why don't you import Africans to do this work? But when the bishop saw that the Spaniards were treating the African slaves worse, he repented. But this was still not racism. Largely throughout Central and South America and the Caribbean islands, and even in the early history of this country, when black people arrived in the mid 1500s in the South and in 1619 in the North, racism was not associated with slavery. Again, slavery was normal. It was accepted. It was conventional wisdom. But then it became attached to um, capitalism. Okay, so here's where capitalism and slavery and systematic systematic racism become married in the United States. In 1776, the Declaration of Independence, the, the, the first of arguably the three founding documents of this country, next to the Constitution and Bill of Rights, <laughs> it dared to state this. It dared to state that. All men are created equal and they are endowed by their creator with certain unenable rights that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. You see, the thing about hypocrisy is that humans will always go through great measure to avoid the appearance of it. 
will go through extreme measures to avoid the appearance of hypocrisy. One might say that we are by our nature pretentious or naturally inclined to avoid the appearance of duplicity. After the founding of this country, it became a point of hypocrisy where legal slavery in the country, uh, we had legal slavery in a country that dared to believe that all men are created equal. No other country where Africans were being imported and sold dared to state such an audacious thing because none of them were trying to be constitutional republics at the time. So no one else had this problem of hypocrisy but America. And, and that is why slavery always looked different in America than, and than elsewhere and, and why slaves were also treated worse here than any part of the world. Because to not be hypocrites, a societal normalcy had to be created whereby imported Africans and their descendants had to be excluded from what the country had called the right to all men, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. This is why not longer after the founding of this country, people began being taught that Africans were not fully human, that Africans were the people in the Bible who were supposed to be ruled over, that they were the children of Ham, and they were just one-fourth human. They were just property and assets, and they had, they had no rights. They couldn't vote, they couldn't do anything, they couldn't read, they couldn't, couldn't education. Humans will always find ways to justify the evilest things they do, just, just so that they don't have to know that they are hypocrites. And today we do the same thing with legal prolicide. Babies in a womb are not really humans. They're just a clump of cells. They are a fetus. Therefore, we can kill them legally. We also do with the death penalty for those who have committed the crimes that the rest of us have not. We can kill them because they did something really bad. Therefore, they lose their rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It was this system of justification that gave birth to the first systematic prejudice against Africans and then systematic racism against them. And, and then a whole societal system that, that, that created, that, that treated imported Africans and their descendants differently because they were not fully human. It became, it became normal, it became conventional wisdom. So, so slavery is, is not what gave birth to systematic racism, rather the reasons to justify where slaves were merely property and not people and cannot be included in the rights of liberty and pursuit of happiness gave reason to create a system which led to the institutionalization of the sin of pride and a normalization, growth, and most importantly, export, export of systematic racism to other white Anglo-Saxon Protestant countries, such as South Africa. Now, arguably, the, these systems that did not extend the full range of human rights to Africans and their descendants created barriers and impenetrable obstacles in society from housing to jobs, education, even, even after slavery, thanks to the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, except for people convicted of a crime, black Americans um, began being convicted without serious due process, just so that they could be put back into slave labor labor, but, but now even in a worse condition, a point which Olga uh, admittedly um, also knows. Yet, after decades of progress in, in some fronts of human rights in this country, we have to ask the question, 
Despite the sin and racism still being present in society because that is the nature of sin, it doesn't go away. The hour has not come yet when the Lord will rid the world of sin and death. The question is whether, in 2021, are there still structures of systematic racism in place that prevents black Americans from doing whatever they want to do? Olga believes there are. I argue that there are not. Olga's book uh, is the perpetuation of a story, often told by white liberals and black liberal women, largely, that, that black people are just victims of white supremacy and that we need white people to feel bad enough about the poor black victims, that they begin treating us the same as them. And that process should begin with giving black folks reparations for our trouble. To be sure, this effort to make white people feel bad about being white, white guilt, white guilt is just a soft expression of white supremacy. That's all it is. The only difference between uh, the white liberal and white Klansman in this regard is that the former learns to feel bad about being better than blacks, while the latter remains proud about the opinion he has that he's better than blacks. But both white guilt supremacy and white non-guilty supremacy are both white supremacy. And according to both of them, black people are just victims. Oh, by the way, despite that constant drum you hear during every Black History Month in front of writers of shows like This Is Us and everywhere else in society, the most interesting thing to know about black people is not how we had to overcome racism. In fact, that is the least interesting thing to know about black people. But those are the stories that are told on repeat over and over again because making black people feel like consummate victims is a billion dollar industry. And this book by Olga is a participation in that profit center by 20 bucks a pop. I, even myself, even myself I, I was born in 1972 into a middle class family and was always told by my grandmother that to get anywhere in life, I had to be twice as good as a white person I was competing against. Because if we were equal, society would overlook me for him. So I had to be as twice as good as him. But what I learned, actually learned on my own, is that there, there are just three things that determine worldly success. Three things, and I'll give them to you here. Number one, it's a situation you're born into. Me, middle class, right? And that is different for each person. Some people are born poor, some people are rich, some in between. But to be sure, let's be honest here, being poor in this country, you're still doing substantially better than most people in the world. And to be poor in America still means you have a roof over your head, you have shoes on your feet, you have food to eat. Sometimes you can be poor and have two cars to drive. Um, you have cable TV, right? You have central air, right? That's our poverty standard where the government says you're poor under this level. These people are really good. The situation you're born into, but it isn't always fair. But life isn't fair. The notion that the, the world owes you something is bullcrap. The only thing we are due, the only justice everyone deserves in this world is Jesus Christ. And, and not because we earned it or merited it, his, his, his justice or his love, but rather because God loves us. And he gave us our Lord because he loves us. That is the only thing we get out of life, right? Everything else we have to work for. And this leads to the second thing that determines worldly success, natural ability, right? If, if you're born with two hands, two working eyes, two working feet, you're equal with everyone else. We all may not have the same subjective beauty or the same heights. I mean, certainly 
If I was seven inches taller, I would have been in the NBA Hall of Fame by now. But your natural ability and your talents are things you don't get to choose for the most part, right? But they are what you have to work with. The third thing that determines whether it's a worldly success in this world is, um, is your determination, right? Some people are just more determined than others. Determination is always affected by things other um, than, than race, right? Studies have shown that the oldest children in, in families oftentimes achieve more than their siblings. Some races are more inclined to math, science, and medicine than others. Children from two-parent homes do better than those from single-parent homes. Determination is what gives one the ability to overcome any disadvantage from environment and natural ability, right? So after, even myself, look, I mean, after doing six years in prison for embezzlement, I went from making, from swinging signs on the side of a street to, and riding my bike to work in the mass to 10 years later making six figures. That was determination, in God's grace, obviously. And some people have a lot of a determination, some people have very little. If you're a parent, you already know that, that one of your children has more determination than the others. And, and, and it's not an anomaly either. I can rattle off like 10 names real quick of people who I was in prison with or grew up with that did some time that got out and they either made six figures or something close to it. A lot of them did it faster than me. So again, God's grace and determination, right? Can overcome the situation you're born into and whatever natural abilities or disadvantages you may have. So in 2021, despite some societal disadvantages that are still in place due to majority advantage, anyone in America who has a natural ability to walk, write, and read can overcome any of those disadvantages of environment with enough determination. Anyone can achieve worldly success in this country, however you define it. From being a CEO to a major company to a president of a country, determination is the great equalizer, which was not possible for many black Americans just 60 years ago. And that is evidence of systematic racism not being detrimental to anyone anymore, aside from babies in a womb, because there is a societal normalization of killing um, as many black babies in a womb as possible. With, and with the funding and support of the government. One third of the black population in this country experiences genocide at the hands of the government. That is systematic racism. I like Olga's point about 40% of the prison population consisting of black Americans, despite the fact that black Americans only account for 13% of the population. But that is not an example of systematic racism. That is, again, an example of a lack of determination, which is due in great part to the dearth of healthy two-parent homes that blacks are born into and the lack of determination to overcome environmental disadvantages such as poor performing schools. Even um, the obstacles that prevent blacks returning home from prison uh, from being able to find housing and jobs, which leads to recidivism, uh, people returning to prison is not an example of systematic racism. But again, the lack of determination, it is a tough conversation. It's a tough conversation that we as black Americans need to start having with our youth who are not as determined. We need to stop playing victim and stop pointing the finger at white people about your problems. And this is a conversation that does need to start with black men who have um, who have abandoned the black woman 
and left her um, um, to lead a home, the schools, the churches, and the state house, which has led to miserable results. Not, not because the black woman was incapable of leading, but because she wasn't meant to lead alone. The sooner black men return to their, to their role, the rightful role of leading as husbands and fathers, the sooner young boys will find determination to follow in their father's footsteps. When, when a boy is being led by his mother and has no good example of a monogamous man, and uh, a, a monogamous man who is sacrificial responsible, a sacrificial responsible father, it proves to be a great setback to the level of determination. That's a fact. Ogle's point about police violence against black Americans being proof of systematic racism isn't true either. Yet it is true that blacks are disproportionately affected by police violence, just like with abortion and incarceration. But there is a mistaken idea that uh, the role of policing, <laughs> I don't think people understand what the role of police are, right? There's a misunderstanding here. Police kill people because police have guns. That's why that happens. If they didn't have guns, police wouldn't, people wouldn't get shot. I mean, that's a fact. But the reason why they have guns is because the role of the police is only to enforce the laws. Their job is not to keep the public safe. There, there's no future crime department. The police do not show up your home before a crime is committed. No. The duty of the, the police is to enforce and protect the law. The question is, what is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to protect the system through which wealth is accumulated right it's capitalism that's it that is why police respond slower to areas where there is less wealth accumulation it is why there is always a small police presence in areas where there is fewer where there is lower wealth accumulation why there are more police like on every corner where there is a lot of wealth centralized the police are, are not here to protect poverty. Poverty. They're not here to, to protect poverty. They're here to protect wealth. This is also why there's a um, better health care where there are, where there is more wealth. Wealthy areas get great hospitals and doctors. Poor areas get Planned Parenthood. The healthcare system is to keep wealthy people alive, not poor people alive. The same goes with education. Good education for wealthy areas so that they can educate people who are more inclined to wealth production and poor education for people who are not expected to produce much wealth. Right? And I'm sorry if you're, you're just now hearing that, you're just now learning that, you're just, like, you're just now realizing the purpose of law enforcement in healthcare and education. But these are things you should know because, because people over at Black Lives Matter know this, communists know this. And because and, and, and that is why they want to defund the police, because once you get rid of police, you can then reform the laws that are in place to protect the wealthy. And once you take wealth out of the hands of the wealthy, you can then usher in communism. People like Olga are too innocent or maybe maybe too young to, to know these things. But and that's why she she trusts these founders of Black Lives Matter. But these founders were trained in Marxism. They admit that at least two of them do. And they know exactly what the final ends are when you promote ideas such as Olga does in his book, such as defund the police. They're talking about paving the way to communism. In her book, um, Birth of Movement, 
Olga just glances past the fact that two of the founders of Black Lives Matter boast about being trained as Marxists and trained in Marxist ideology uh, as, as if it had no impact on her movement. And Olga doesn't connect the key principle of Marxism with the goal uh, with a goal that used to be listed on a Black Lives Matter website where they say they want to disrupt the nuclear family. Olga thinks that Black Lives Matter wants to expand the family to be more representative of society today, of the lived experience, as she calls it, with, with people having two moms and two dads, one dad that used to be a woman or uh, one mom used to be a man. <laughs> Yet the destruction of nuclear family is a key Marxist principle. Even, even Stalin used to brag about how children turning um, on their parents, turning in their parents as a sign of, of success of communism. Because the goal of communism is for the central government to become the parent, the husband and the wife. Communism demands sole reliance on the government for everything. And to do that, the nuclear family has to be dismantled. In this line, Olga overlooks the fact that healthy two-parent homes are the building block of a healthy society. Two-parent homes, my God, two-parent homes, they have the, the lowest poverty rates. In fact, two-parent homes, you may not notice, two-parent homes with black Americans have a lower percentage of families in poverty than white two-parent homes. So blacks do better than whites when there's two parents in the homes. Two-parent homes have fewer incidents of child molestation, they have fewer cases of domestic violence, they have fewer cases of child abuse. And then across the board, in every statistical category, two-parent homes with one mother, one father who are married do better than unmarried people and, and people in unnatural relationships. These are just inconvenient facts for Olga that she doesn't bring up. For Olga and her book, The Birth of Movement, the first step that the bishops of the United States needs to take to fix racism in, in, in the Catholic Church is for them to meet with the founders of Black Lives Matter and start proclaiming that the proclaiming the slogan uh, Black Lives Matter in their documents. As Catholics, the reason why we cannot use the phrase Black Lives Matter is because we are uh, forbidden from associating with a communist organization. That's a dogma in the church. We can't associate with communism in any way whatsoever, which Black Lives Matter is a communist organization. Um, and to do so, we risk that communication when we do that. Yet, what about the mantra? Can't we just say Black Lives Matter, as Olga insists, uh, that the white male bishops do? Uh, can we can we just state that phrase? Uh, certainly we can, but by doing so it would be an offense against the cross of Calvary. Let's think about this. As Catholics, we believe that Jesus on the cross is the explanation why all life is sacred, why all life matters. Because the crucifix explains to us why all life matters and why all life is sacred. The mantra Black Lives Matter does not do that. It doesn't tell us why all Black Lives Matter. The crucifix does teach us that all life matters because God loves us. And because God loves us, he sent his son to give up his life for us. Christ on a cross is love. And that is why we point to the cross and not to worldly slogans and mantras. As a church, we do not point down, we point up. We don't point, we, 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 we don't point to our earthly ends, we point to our eternal destination. And the liturgy itself orients us, not to the world, but to Calvary. And that's why prior to the new Mass, 
um, every liturgy in the church history, the, the father or priest pray in the direction of Calvary in, in imitation of our father. We too face the East and our duty was to leave the mass and then go show the world how to orient itself to Calvary. Therefore, we, 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 we point to we don't point to some worldly slogan or mantra to do so was spit on the cross into the work of Jesus Christ. It is not to Black Lives Matter that we point, but to the cross and the sign in the sky that said, In hoc signo vinces, by this sign we will conquer. The great failure of Ogle's book is that it's just another repackaging of humanism, the heresy of humanism. Nothing in this book points to God or his grace as a true solution to conquer sin. And that is sad. Because it is the simplest thing to understand. From the moment of the incarnation, Jesus was loved by his mother and protected and loved by his earthly father, Joseph. In the womb, Jesus was loved by Elizabeth and John the Baptist. Just eight days out of the womb, at his circumcision, Jesus was loved by Simeon and the prophet Anna. God has given us this light and given us God who is an infant. The only way our human, the human species, if you think about it, the only way the human species has been able to survive this long is because of love. Think about it. Infants demand so much. They need to be fed and comforted and tended to at the most inconvenient hours of the day. They, they, infants are taxing on everything, our time, our finances, our own selfish needs. But because we love them, we don't kill them. Because we love them, we tend to them. Even, even a woman, even a woman herself is an image of Christ and bringing forth life. She gives her body for the body of another. That's Christ. And in rare instances, she even sacrifices her own life so that her child might live. That's Christ. Loving in not a worldly way, but in a sacrificial way that Christ's love is the only solution to sin that God has given us. He didn't give us Black Lives Matter. He gave us love in the image of a son. I hope Olga gives her life to reflecting upon the incarnation of Mary's journey so that she might understand why we don't have to trust in the world or in Black Lives Matter. And after she's reflected enough, she'll burn this book because there's nothing but straw. But until then, and until next time, blessings and shalom to you and to yours. Hi, everybody. Thank you for watching. Subscribe here to get the latest from the show. Also, be sure to check out the content you've missed. If you'd like to keep supporting my work, consider joining my team on Patreon, where you'll be gifted great perks like books, hoodies, and mugs. Thanks again.